Hey, this is Petar Janic and I'm Ben's guest on this week's Big Fat Five. What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. As you just heard, this week's guest is Petar Janic, a Serbian-born but Nashville-based drummer by way of Minneapolis, Minnesota. He's one of the funkiest drummers out there and is the drummer for one of today's funkiest guitarists and band leaders, Corey Wong. Before passing away, Prince himself asked Petar to play on his record, and well, that's that. He's involved in a bunch of happenings, including his own project called Heavy Chevy. He's playing all around the globe and will continue to do so, so give him a follow, link in the description. Also, there's a funny video that we talk about at the end of the conversation that's also in the description, so just go check out the description. But first, please enjoy the top five influential records that shaped Pitar into the drummer he is today. Cheers. I do want to start off by saying, first of all, I want everyone to check out your interview with Matt from the podcast Working Drummer, who's also on the Drum Click Podcast Network that we're all we're all in it together. But yeah, so I won't this podcast episode won't be about your history. I think people, if they want to get into that, Matt did a great job. I'd love that conversation. So go listen to that. So I did, though, want to talk about, and I do start off a lot of these podcasts with this question, um, but it's fun for you because you're not growing up in America. So what role did music play in your house? And do you think it's, or how, how different is it when you've talked to your peers that have grown up in America, what role music played in your house growing up? <laughs> that's, that, I mean, that's a great question. And honestly, easiest answer is saying my dad's a drummer and my dad is an old school cat old school drummer and he had so many records and he was collecting records like from deep purple to billy cobham george duke to red report and then james brown and prince like he was always i think that was a big thing on that hit me as a young musician i guess because when they talk to my friends and they talk about weather report or something like wait you were listening to every when you were six, five. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess that was what's going on at the house. So that was that was big, you know. Did you just want to be cool like your dad, or like what gravitated you towards that? Because that's that can be pretty heady for a six-year-old. Basically, the story is the word in, word in the street is uh, <laughs> when my, when my mom, I have an older brother, so my dad would go on tour and. He would bring the entire family because would, he would tour around Montenegro a lot, which is on the coast uh, at the Adriatic Sea. Uh, basically, what would happen, my brother would be crazy running around and my mom would leave me behind stage, just behind my dad. And I would just be apparently mesmerized, like staring at him while he was playing. 
And I would stay there for like two hours without even shedding a tear or anything, just kind of like eyes dilated, like insane. <laughs> Batar, blink. No. <laughs> nope. I didn't. I guess I didn't even blink. So, <laughs> uh, what happened then is just I turned five and I, I personally, like, oh, I want to play the drums, whatever. And my dad would set up a drum, drum set for me and feet are barely, barely touching the pedals. And I could play like simple beats. But it was always it always looked like with like you're struggling doing that something is not clicking right. Eventually, we we find out that I'm left-handed and it's the biggest curse on every festival and on every show. I have to go and somebody oh has to God, sit yeah. in. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's kind of the the thing, you know. Yeah, left-handed. We're going to talk about Michael Bland. I know that was definitely an issue the first time you met him. But I did want to talk about Michael Bland real quick um, and may, from maybe a different angle before we talk about one of your top fives. But And I know that you are super close with Michael, so I don't want this to be in any way a negative thing towards him. But he was definitely tough on you at first. And you've, you've, you've talked about how he was very hard on you, kind of... Of course. I yeah. still occasionally we hop on the phone and... I will never like not say he wasn't because yeah. he was and it was awesome. That's how you grow and learn, you know. Even my previous instructor at McNally Smith, where I went to college in St. Paul, Minnesota, Gordy Knutson, incredible drummer with Steve Miller Band, and he was one of the main session guys in Minneapolis. He's the one who hit me to Michael, but both of them were extremely honest, and I think that was the main thing that fueled me to be better. Mm -hmm. And I think Michael was like that with multiple cats. And it was to him, it was just who can take it and who cannot, who can become what he would call the next, the young samurai. <laughs> I mean, even in Serbia, uh, growing up over there, my dad never kind of had patience with me to teach me. So he had his, one of his best friends start teaching me when I was 10. And, my dad would still be present in every lesson and I would still hear it. What the heck are you doing? Focus. Figure it out. Like the thing is also I I was taught by ear. I've never there was I never learned how to read music until I basically moved to America. But it was always getting taught by ear, listen, pay attention, focus. And I would always hear the bad stuff from my dad. And I think it paid off because it de definitely helped me grow and be strong to criticism and to negative. I think negative, positive criticism, it's all criticism. If somebody has to say something, I always kind of have that mentality to listen. Okay, I hear you. I'll try that. I think it will work. And if it doesn't work, you know what? You don't like it. I don't care. I'll move on, you know? So you've been ingrained with that from such a young age that that wasn't... My question was going to be like, was was that one of the first of that style of kind of hard education that you had to deal with? But it seems like you've always had to experience that and had to not take it personal because there are so many drummers, myself included sometimes, someone will say, hey, Ben, that fill at the end of the song, can you just cruise through that that beat? Can we not do a fill? And I'll just like go in the you know, green room and just have a little internal meltdown and then slap my <laughs> face and come back on, you know. But it's tough sometimes. Uh, I agree. I mean, even day to day, you just have to kind of ego check yourself. I, I can be sometimes extremely defensive about certain things that I really like, but the artist doesn't like. Mm -hmm. So it, you, I personally need to remove myself, like uh, somehow out of my head, and just kind of to observe. Imagine, kinda, like Doctor Strange when he hits your body and your 
ghost yeah, ghost totally. like that's like what i'm trying always to just make sure you do that and make sure that you see the full picture so i always try to like i have my friends Corey and kevin they they're like my closer friends and bandmates and they Corey knows well when i'm defensive and he checks that sometimes with me and i also need to like make sure that i communicate and say hey i'm not trying to be defensive but just hear me out here yeah you know and it just i think it just there's always room for growth and especially on ourselves as humans. Yeah. I'm sure there's, you can find solace in the fact of Corey and Kevin, if they say something to you, it's like, you guys are amazing at what you do. So your, your opinion has a little more weight than just someone saying like, Hey, I don't know if I like that hi hat part. It's like, well, yeah. And I've been in sessions where I would do a fill and it's like, and like, ah, how about you just give me the, Taku takakum. Like, <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, like, immediately, I thought, I w- like, I would say, yeah, that, of course. Like, yeah. immediately, I would be just gonna, for a second, just stumble, like, oh, you didn't like that. Never mind. So now, when I usually track for people, I make sure to go, uh, when people hire me for remote s- sessions, I give three takes. The take of your cho- choice, of your, like, what you would like, take of, like, full simplicity and a take that's absolute busy. Sometimes I do a four take, like, oh, this is what I kind of hear, but usually a take of busy, the busyness, the busy stuff of what what song requires and what you kind of want, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and you, you kind of mentioned it too, and I wanted, that was going to be my next follow-up question, is you didn't learn to read music right off the bat, and so you were kind of, from an early age, forced to kind of rely on ear training a lot, or ear interpretation, I guess. Yes. Do you think that gave you a leg up to a lot of people? I think so. Yeah. I really do because I would learn music. Like the way I got to sub for Michael, I would just go watch Michael play for probably a year straight. Every Sunday, Monday, did not miss one week. And I would literally memorize all of his drum fills. The mm. moment I would sit in, the band would turn around, what? Who's playing Michael with guitar <laughs> at one yeah. point? They would not because I would just kind of repeat what he would do. Yeah. And I think that was a really important thing that I got the ability to just, oh, I hear it, just do it. Mm-hmm. I, was not, I would not care about what's sticking or what, what's the right way to execute it as long as it sounds good, you know? It sounds like it. So that was, I think that did give me a leg up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, you seem like such an agreeable, uh, easy guy to talk to, and... It leads me into asking this. So you've said, and I might butcher the wording of this, but you've said uh, if you find someone who's really good at what they do, you just want to be around them as much as possible and, and learn from them. And so that being said, um, when you approach people you admire, um, what's your advice for someone listening on how, and you, you've said you try not to be creepy about it, <laughs> but like, yeah, what's your advice that's, on how that's to, that's the hard part. <laughs> yeah, totally. But what's your advice on how to navigate that? Like, do you have an opening line of someone you're like, Hey, I, I think I, that I don't know. <laughs> I love, like, this is going to be funny. I think that the beginning when I like approach Michael Bland, I, my English was not as tight. I didn't speak this well, you know? And I think they probably found it amusing that I was so confused. I didn't know what to say at certain <laughs> yeah. points. They're like, who's this goofy? I'm not going to cuss, but who's this you goofy? You can, yeah, if you want. mf ever just, what is going on here? Yeah. What's he trying to get? <laughs> but uh, honestly, you know what? If you see a 
person or a musician you admire, the best thing is just show up. Sometimes you don't have to say anything because they will acknowledge you that you're there if you keep showing up. Oh, that's the cat that's just sitting in the corner every time and they will approach you. I would, mm. in my early on ages in Minneapolis, I would just show up and be quiet. Not I was not a drinking age, so I would just order a cherry Coke and just sit in the corner and observe and that might be also kind of creepy but <laughs> it it worked <laughs> and eventually i would start talking and asking questions it, it was always just about asking the right question or something that i was interested in i would ask a question and it was always well received i guess mm-hmm. i've never asked michael hey man when can i start subbing for you i was never really i would let him invite me to sit in i would never ask hey man can i sit in mm-hmm it would always come, hey, man, do you want to play? I said, yeah, I would play. And then usually that would be great. There was that one time. It was just, he kind of set me up. And it was a true test. It was a true test of like, hey, can you do it or can you not? He would ask me to sit in and play a song. And I said, yeah, I would play What You're Gonna Do For Me by Shaka Khan. And he was like, yeah, no, let's play something else. How about uh, There's Something Wrong With My Baby? And like that's a ballad, and it's slow, and it's hard to play backwards. Anything that's slow, in general, it was just so off guard. It was like literally five seconds. You count the band, and you start, and like in my head, and like I'm processing how does this tune go? And it was, it was a setup. <laughs> my tempo, I didn't like sound like an idiot, or I played the song, yeah. but I didn't sound good as I can be good. And what really important to Michael is. He really has a great theory about time and like comparing drums to like the grid or like the snake. He's like, your time is like a snake. Are you a crazy snake just doing left and right or are you just steady, just going straight, you know? Oh, I like that. And my time was not good. That that I'm, And it was just in front of the whole band. He was just, if you're going to play slow tempos like play slow tempos like that, don't bother coming back sitting in again. And that hit me pretty hard. I'm like, <clears throat> I was just, all right, cool. Monday comes, I go back to school. I talk to Gordy and like, hey, can I have this room and just play there like usually? And I kid you not, seven days in a row, I would play backwards and play the slowest songs ever. And I came back a week later and, oh, you're back. You want to play again? I'm like, sure, what do you want to play? And I call the slow song. Okay. And then he asked me to play the next song. I call another slow song. All right, man, you think your pocket is that deep? Okay, brother, come on, man. (laughs) (laughs) Literally got done playing that song. He looks at his tech after the gig was done. Like, hey, man, pack up the stuff. Pitar's playing tomorrow. Because it it was a Sunday-Monday gig. Yeah. And I was just, wait, what? Ah, It's your time, man. Let's see if you can do the whole gig. And uh, since then, I got to gig, something for him with... Dr. Mom was combo in Minneapolis for eight years. Every Monday, or did you end up doing every Sunday, Sunday too? Monday? Wow! Every Sunday, I would I would play more than he would play. <laughs> he would go on tour and he would come back and tour. He would not even show up. It was just there was nights he would show up and he would, he's not doing anything. He would just show up to listen and kind of like I would just puddle, 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 puddle. He's here, <laughs> yeah, because you know where he sits. You know when he walks in, it's just, and just yeah. Hey, y'all, I wanted to, (laughs) I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. 
It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye well, yeah, we'll we'll talk more about Michael in a second, but let's just get into your top five, man. Um, sure. So the number one is uh, Star Time, and the release here of this, I'm assuming this is like a compilation of a bunch it's a of... Compila- ju- it's like four CDs. Yeah, I remember scrolling, I was like, holy crap, there's a lot of songs on this. And it's, I have all four CDs, and that's how I kind of started, started with that, you know, just, I had those four CDs, my dad did, and... All those those two tunes. Actually, I I think I so I put Funky Drummer and get it together. Get it together. Funky Drummer was my own kind of like approach. Like, oh man, listen to that hi hat to that. St- like the tempo is kind of moving. You know, those mm-hmm. guys didn't record with a click. Yeah. Uh, get it together was a Michael Bland thing. We were in the car and we were just. I was another thing I did. I dro- drove Michael to the gigs sometimes quite a bit or i would because i would just i want to hang out hey man i know matt your tech is busy do you need a ride to get to the gig i will come pick you up i just want to pick your brain and hang out so he would occasionally also come to my car and bring cds in and um yeah get together was we were both kind of examining that song and the importance of like these guys are tracking right now they have no idea what they're doing james brown's just directing the band on the spot Mm-hmm. And like the focus to be on that session, because he's just break it, quit it, stop it, go, and then engineer. I'll fade it out. I'm out. <laughs> he ends the tune by telling the engineer to fade out the track. He's leaving, and like calling people on their mistakes. Like Wayman, you you don't seem like you're tight tonight. It's okay. It's not your night. He's just calling people on their mistakes, and it's like, oh man, I'm like excited now about the track. You know. Can I get three fellows? Don't play so 
Somebody played too much. Don't be so mean. Think about that cold sweat. You came out. I think they're gonna break down now. Too much horn over there. Give me a little extra stroke that country so I know you're playing guitar. I was also going to say uh, a, a, a mutual friend of ours, Stephen Gould, who also is from the Minneapolis area, his story with uh, getting lessons from Dave King was also that he would drive him around or offer to drive him to gigs. So maybe that's a good in too, is offer to drive these people around and then you'll get You'll Anything, a drink. Benefits. Can I grab? You know, start with coffee, and then people are like, "I'm busy, I can't." Like, okay, then you follow these people where they're playing, and just show up, and not be a pest, but like, as soon as you see, oh, they will, do you need help? Do you need help with your gear? Do you need this? I, you know, and just slowly trying to earn their trust and friendship, and you know, just show them that you're just there to learn and that you're not a threat necessarily, because you know, it can somebody, some many people can think. What's this cat trying to do? Is he trying to take my stuff or, you know? Yeah, yeah. just whenever they look at you or think of you, they associate it with helpful, they smile, and then that's 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 what a friend is. <laughs> I mean, yeah. really. Yeah. All right, number two. The album is Love Symbol. Came out in 1992. The artist is Prince, and the song choice is uh, Sexy Motherfucker. And uh, the drummer is, is Michael Bland. Yeah, so what? Uh, when did this album come into your life and all that jazz i guess this was more coming in in my college days mm -hmm. at, at mcnally while i was somebody basically hey we have to learn this song and like oh this is prince i know this album i just did i know love to the nines better and when that i just basically never paid attention and when i started focusing and learning this song i'm like oh my god it's so funky and it's so simple and it's such discipline like choosing the right drum fill doing the three like uh the three cymbal hits that's towards the end on the sax solo and brian gallagher's shredding basically michael and suddenly go anything with the china that's where the china comes in my kind of but just like everything like i don't know how to explain it you have to listen to the tune and everything will be clear. Like, it's so simple, just, and it works. In a word or two, shoot, I want to do. No, not your body, your mind, your fool. Come here, baby. Yeah. You sexy motherfucker. We're all alone in the villa of the Riviera. Got some friends on the south side. A lot of people also. So. It's Michael on drums, Sunny T on bass, Tommy Barbarella, I think Levi Caesar on guitar, and the horn heads that play with Corey are the horn players. But everyone's part again, like Michael's. Hit with the horns. 
Tommy's. Wow. That's it. Come here, baby. Yeah. You sexy motherfucker. We need to talk about things. Tell me what you do. Tell me what you eat. I might cook for you. See, you really don't. And the guitar. It's crazy. People think it's. But it's. So consistent. Nothing changed. Like from the beginning, same. Like the only change you'll see is he's gonna go to the right symbol towards the end on the sax solo, and there'll be that three-hit thing that he will do, ending with the China. was Michael with with Prince from 89 90 till basically passed Michael tracked with him till he died Michael okay. was always in the studio he was not touring since 96 I think or 7 oh no he, then he did something in 2000 mm-hmm. on Jay Leno and he did a thing with him and Sonny and Morris but yeah I Michael was always around Paisley till Prince passed Okay, because I always, always associate John Blackwell during like the mid two thousands, all that stuff. Yeah, but. John was from the musicology, Rainbow Children, but I think Michael was kind of top studio. Michael was known as the originator in the studio, you know, because he would just he he he's the idea man. Nobody did it. Nobody did it like him. I I don't care. It's my personal opinion. Nobody ever did it like Michael. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good uh, argument. If you just play this song, you're like, all yeah. right, well. Uh, next one is another huge giant. So the album's Toto. came out in 1978. It's Toto. It's their titular album. And the song is Georgie Porgy. I love this song. We had a, my old roommate had a little Australian shepherd called Georgie. Spelled differently. Awesome. Uh, but we'd always sing this song to her. So this, this song always has a special place in my heart. But it's Jeff, Jeff Beccaro. 
And yes. Yeah. Before we listen to it, what influence did this song have on you? Probably my early like teens, like I guess 12 years old. Um, I had a VHS, uh, a VHS that had two concerts on it. And it would be the weather report, the one I'm going to share with you as well. And it would be Total Live in Paris, 1990. And just watching Jeff play and then realizing for like over my years of living in this country and in general researching music, how much he tracked and what he did. I don't know. I genuinely believe he was one of the best pop drummers, ever living pop drummers. And still, I think day to day, there's great drummers, but I don't think... I think the drum drum universe or drum world would be completely different if he was, he was still alive. Uh, he... I don't know even what to say, like, except, like, such a influence on my playing and the steadiness, like, of time and the simplicity and how he... How he just played that hi hat. I don't think mm. it, so. You have the the funky drummer of James Brown, where it's the hi hats. It's like the loop. You can totally tell, like it's tip of the tip of the stick on top of the hat. Well, Jeff was always doing the wristing, the and I mean Michael McDonald. I keep forgetting Jeff Porcaro, Dirty Lowdown, Boss Kex, Jeff Porcaro. Mm-hmm. And so many more, you know? All right, let's just listen to it, and then by all means, we can keep talking on top of it. It's not your situation. I just need and you know, people pick Jeff because of the shuffle a lot, because of Rosanna, and believe me, that was another big thing. Rosanna's, of course, there. But I don't know, this tune was just, it's just one of the first things I heard. The drive, how he wreck it to be simple and just works. I mean, the man's a machine as well. I've been reading this book, the Steve Lukather autobiography, and it's incredible. There's so many amazing Jeff stories. So for all, all of you who don't know, Toto, they were more of a session gang, a session squad in LA. And they tracked them. So Toto wrote, uh, Steve Porcaro wrote Human Nature for Michael Jackson. And Whoa. Toto, that's Jeff Porcaro, Steve Lukather, the whole band tracked that song. There's a great story of the song Beat It being tracked and they didn't like what was programmed so they called Jeff to go in the studio and there was no click or anything. So Jeff made his own click by him hitting something and he tracked a click first and then he tracked drums on Beat It and yeah, it's Lukather. You have to read it. I'm sure I'm not saying the story correctly, but you have to check this out. It's, I mean, that's Jeff Procaron beat it and human nature. And my it's just, God, it's Steve Lukather playing. And then, of course, the legendary Eddie Van Halen solo. But 
my God, Jeff did all of that. You know, so many hits and it's just crazy. Yeah. I want to play a song. Um, this is this is my, my favorite Jeff Picaro beat from Toto. And speaking of, of, of his delicacy on the hi-hat, but also his intention, um, not to... Not to no, overthrow no, yours or anything, but I just, I want to play, since we're talking about Jeff, I, I play this song all the time. Keep together by uh, by Michael McDonald. Keep keep forgetting. Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing, kind of like similar to Georgie Porgy, and it's just wait, what? Here we go. crazy too he tells the story there's a interview he breaks a stick in the session and pulls another stick and you can tell you totally hear it and it's like hi-hat stops and here it's so it's it's the second pre-chorus so this is the first one yeah so listen to here now and I'll tell you when it's the stick's gonna break breaks here on the next pre-chorus and you'll hear it on the hi-hat And it was, yeah, he, I think it's the MI interview where he talks about it, but it's just, it's so epic. I mean, that, that just sounds like a rad part because he like does it after that crash symbol and then yep. he just comes back in. And it's, they kept that take like, stick broke, we don't care. All right. Number three. It's uh, actually, sorry, number four. Weather Report Live in Tokyo, 1984. The release series 1984, and this is a this is a YouTube video because it was on that that VHS that you had. So it's song one D flat waltz. It's yes. uh, o- Omar Hakim. It's incredible. That that whole concert is incredible. I just had to pick that one. It's like oh, it's the first song, whatever. But that the whole thing is insane.
this touch, everything. Like, good God, man. And the musicality. Man, it's just, just so talk about chops slash just I have it all, but I don't need to use like this. Omar, Omar, so this was introduced to me when I was eight, nine, like early age. And um, Omar, like that time, that, that period of my life, I was so into fusion. So I picked that one because I watched it so many times. But Arnold mentioned in the, uh, in the pocket, Dennis Chambers, incredible, like Blue Matter, Schofield, the record I wore, Stratus, Billy Cobham, incredible, another like fusion record. And one I did not put in top five, and I'm regretting it every time I talk about it now, <laughs> is Thrust, Herbie Hancock. Okay. Thrust was insane, and it still like is one of the greatest, I think, masterpiece of drumming by Mike Clark I've ever listened to in my life. Yeah, that dude is groovy. Yeah. So was, was Fusion uh, very popular in Serbia, or was it because it was so not popular, that's why you kind of gravitated towards it? I think towards... it was not really popular, and I was just so nerded out by it, I liked it a lot, and it was not the most popular thing, and I don't think it still is popular, I don't think it will ever be popular, to be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, I was just, yeah, uh, my dad got me hip to this stuff, and I liked it so much, and Every time I was a kid, I was like, I want to be like these people. I want to do this, and I want to live in America. I expressed my wishes to my family when I was 10. I want to live in America. And they're like, okay, sure, you're 10 years old. Do, your, do both your parents still live in Serbia? My parents and my brother, they're all in Serbia, yeah. All right, number five. And this is, uh, yeah. The, great, the greatest it, drum solo ever. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hell yeah, well, now I'm one excited. Of my, <laughs> one of my favorite drum solos of all time. And it's Steve Gadd. Yeah. Um, so tribute to Jeff, release years 2005. David Garfield, Larry Carlton are the, are the uh, artists. And the song choice is Jeff Strutt. And like you said, it is Steve Gadd on drums. So let's just, uh, let's just play it. Bass solo and then drum solo. Yep. And he's gonna start this solo kind of really similar to that.
Okay, one thing to point out. My man hits the crash with nothing on. Like, no kick, no nothing. Like, what? And, and he also I mean, doesn't hit a crash for the first, like, 15 bars. It's just only no, toms, nothing. Just toms. Is, and just, again, it's like a melody, you know? It's just... Yeah. And the, everything, like, and how he got the band back, and just, yeah, I don't know. It's just so musical, and there's chops, there's the signature gadisms that he does, but <coughs> just the, the how he, the space was used is just mind blowing. Yeah, have you gotten a chance to see him live? Uh, with Chick Corea when they did the reunion. I saw him at Minneapolis. I was still living in Minneapolis. I think it was 2017 or 18. Wow. Chikoria, him, Lionel Leke. It was the Chikoria and Steve Gadd band. Mm -hmm. They did like basically My Spanish Heart. They played that record down. Wow. It was incredible. Does Steve still live in LA? I think he's in uh, like Scottsdale, Phoenix area. Of course. Yeah, I think so. But before I do let you go, I do want to ask one more thing, and I'm not sure if I'll even keep this in the show, but there was a really cool drum cover you did of Gotta Be Starting Something. Wanna Be Starting Something, yeah. Wanna Be Starting Something, where you were in the middle of a really cool drum, kind of like the apex of the song, the climax, yep. and then all of a sudden a contract just <laughs> walks into the room. What it's, happened with that? Uh, basically, all right, I'm tracking this thing. It was kind of you can hear Corey laughing. That's Corey, oh. who's kind of helping me with the video. And we're recording at my friend John Fields' studio in Minneapolis. Like, oh, people do these drum covers. And I'm, what, 24, 5? And social media started booming. And I suck at social media. You can keep that. I'm not good. I don't... <laughs> I'm trying... I was trying to figure out Dan. And I'm still trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And Corey's like, oh, dude, it just... This one... It, Drum covers. People do the drum covers. What's a cool drum cover you would do? And I'm like, okay, this Michael Jackson thing, they can solo over this. And we get to the studio. John's like, oh, yeah, they're fixing. I'm putting another part of the studio in the basement. I'm like, okay, I, I'm going to take a take. And I love the take. The take was great. And I feel like I was tight with the track. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, and I, my roommate Alex is, like, running the camera. And you can see the contract worker walks in, and he's, like, telling him to stop. And he stops. At one point, he's just standing there looking at me soloing. And I'm like, he doesn't have headphones on. He just hears this me going mad on drums. And I'm like, at one point, I'm like, just walk through, man. I'm sorry. Like, I know. You like kind of stop and you start laughing. I, I mean, I started laughing and Corey's laughing because he's like, this dude's just standing right next to me just looking at me. And he's like, oh, this has to break the internet. I hope you break. You know what? I'm going to post it again just so people can see it. It's kind of the perfect video. It is a fun, yeah, it is. You're right. It's really funny. And again, it was released like 2005. I'm not, not really sure. All right, man. Well, I'll let you go. Um, this was so fun, man. Thank you. Again, thank you. And yeah, this was awesome. And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum, and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. 
And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.